Welcome to this edition of Talking HR with Lori and Lisa, where as always, our goal is to give you a real look at today's HR world through the sharing of experiences, knowledge, and inspiring people practices. I'm your host, Lori Rokoff. And I'm Lori's co-host, Lisa Fuller. Our very special guest today is Hugh Culver, author, professional speaker, and facilitator, a master trainer, and an incredible athlete. Hugh's training programs and keynote presentations reach over 25,000 people each year. Hugh's presentations on working smarter and living better are sought after by leading organizations such as Imperial Oil, Shoppers Drug Mart, Royal Bank of Canada, TELUS, United Way, and many more. Hugh is one of only 50 certified professional speakers in Canada and one of only 100 Canadian certified facilitation professionals. I was very privileged to hear uh, Hugh recently at a conference, and we're very excited to spend time with you today, Hugh, and hear your thoughts on your idea of small wins on our podcast. So welcome. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks, Laurie. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to get uh, this going. I, it's a topic I'm really passionate about, so thanks for inviting me. I was really interested in talking to you about this, Hugh, because... Um, you know, you and I go way back and there's been a lot of work that we've done together over the years. Um, and I just remember some of the great training and things that you helped us with um, when I was still working in my career full time. And one of the things I remembered was just some of the great management uh, techniques and ways of working with people. And certainly motivation plays a big part of that. Um, I'm just wondering, to start off the conversation today, I, I was thinking of some of the quotes that are kind of famously associated with uh, this idea of small wins. And one of my favorites is the journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. Are there any others that have inspired you on this journey? Well, yeah, that's a, a great segue. So I I, um, I think that you know, for me, it's been it's been a learning experience to look at. Okay, what have I done over the last twenty five years to help people in the workplace, um, but also with the other organizations I've been involved with, which is a lot of nonprofits, and then look at what barriers have come up. And I think that you know, for I mean, some of my favorite quotes are you know Victor Frankl, where he talks about the space between uh, you know. Um, uh, you, you know, space between reaction and action is kind of like where that's where all your power is and your opportunity. And I think that what, what I've been interested to find out is, okay, what can I do with the work I'm doing now that actually helps even more? And I'm looking at essentially how to get people started on the path of using what they already know. So that the I noticed um, I was reading a, a bit about the small wins and and the mm -hmm. idea of these uh, steps that you take, um, and I came across the work of Harvard professor Teresa Amabile um, and others in this area that reveal that most leaders don't understand the power of progress, and their their work showed that progress as an employee motivator was ranked quite low uh, behind such things as incentives and recognition and, you know, pretty standard approaches to motivation. Why do you think progress is not top of mind for management when it comes to employee motivation? Yeah, it's a great question, you know, because you think that would be so obvious. And what Amabile and her, and her partner, uh, Kramer, Stephen Kramer at Harvard found out was that it is a huge motivator of what they call inner work life. 
And it surprised them because it competes with all the other uh, influencers that we all know about, such as, um, you know, remuneration and having clear goals and things like that. I think that in many ways, management um, holds the cards too close to their chest. I think that they try to uh, inspire their teams, give them direction, give them coaching and feedback, but often just forget to tell them how they are doing on the scorecard. Um, and that shows up maybe at quarterly meetings or it shows up on some kind of annual report. Um, and I think the evidence is pretty clear. People want to know how they're doing. So I just think in many ways, management, they're working hard, but they're just missing that one little ingredient, which is let's let people know how we're doing. I think that's so important too, to feel successful in your role, right? Mm -hmm. And to, to know you're making progress and you're contributing, which is, uh, you know, a value for, for most individuals. And part of the, I think, um, hierarchy of needs for us personally as human beings. But um, in Amabile's book, you know, she makes that link, I think the power of small wins and the link to performance. And, you know, how do, how do leaders start incorporating this idea of small wins into the workplace to support that employees being successful? Yeah, you know, Lisa, and again, I think it's such a simple thing, right? What a simple concept. I'm sure we all agree it should be in there. And I think that the knee-jerk reaction for a lot of leaders that they were to hear this advice and listen to this podcast would be, oh, I need to make some big wholesale change. And in fact, a lot of little things will make a big difference. I remember working with a team and they had to, it was a quite a big company, they had to rebuild this entire database. So from A to Z and nobody wanted to do it. It was incredibly tedious. It took them away from other work. And what they did was they simply took the letters A to Z and they broke them down into, I think it was like four per line. So that would work out to like six lines plus two more. And then they put them up on a wall as kind of like a poster. So there's A, B, C, D, and then the next row is, you know, E, E, F, G, H, et cetera. But what they did was they celebrated every four letters. And this went on for a whole year to get this project done. But they knew that as soon as they got to that fourth letter, there would be a celebration. You know, it's kind of corny. You think, well, what's the big deal? But at the end of the day, once everybody is satisfied with what they're taking home as far as pay, they're satisfied, they've got a chair and a computer and all the other things that keep them comfortable, um, you need to look at the small stuff that actually is going to make a difference. I think uh, you mentioned earlier, um, or at the beginning of this conversation about Amabile's work and mm -hmm. the positive inner life, which is associated with this uh concept of small wins and what they call the progress principle. Mm -hmm. And that positive inner life they identified was this mix of emotions, motivations, and perceptions that are critical to performance. But on the flip side, it was found that small losses or setbacks can have an extremely negative effect. Why do you think that is? Well, I think it's human nature. And, you know, Rosabeth Moss Cantor talks about this. She talks about in the middle of every project, there's going to be a kind of a, you know, there's going to be a dip as far as progress goes. So it's inevitable we're going to have setbacks. Anybody that like, you know, you, you know, both you and and Lisa have worked on huge projects over your careers, and you know that there's going to be times when that's going to happen. I think the challenge, though, is for the management 
to have the right story before that happens. And so, you know, um, it was interesting. I was listening to Adam Grant recently, who's of course an organizational psychologist, very popular these days. And he was telling the story of at Pixar, um, this is about 20 years ago when Steve Jobs was actually working there as one of the co-founders because he'd left Apple at that time. And uh, it's the whole story of how this guy named Brad Bird went off and created The Incredibles. So they'd already had three successful animated movies using CDI technology, but The Incredibles was going to be a big break and Steve Jobs wanted it to be very different from the first three, which was like Toy Story and Cars or whatever, whatever the other three, two were, other one was. And um, but the point is that what Brad Bird did when he had meetings was he actually talked about a common enemy. See, that's the story that leaders need to figure out. We're either going to talk about a common goal that we can all get behind and we care about, or we're going to talk about a common enemy. The enemy in his case was nobody believes we can do it. So it's not about another company or com competitor. The common enemy was nobody believes we can do it because they were going to use breakthrough technology and they were going to go to the next level with a lot of the details in the movie. And that movie went on and, of course, won Academy Awards. And it was actually the highest grossing movie of all time for Pixar. So I think that leaders need to figure out what's the story, be really consistent with that story and start telling it before you have that setback, because the setback is going to be inevitable. I find that really interesting. Um, and I, as I think about that as a leader, what can I do as a leader um, to sort of translate or create that that story and create that vision um, for my team to help mm -hmm. them come through this journey? Yeah, well, so Lori was asking about quotes earlier. And one of the quotes I really like is, this is actually from Nancy Duart. So um, a lot of people don't know who Nancy Duart is, but she teamed up with Al Gore to create the Inconvenient Truth. So she, her whole company makes presentations. That's their expertise. And it's not just about PowerPoint. It's about the story behind the PowerPoint, of course. And, and her line is, make the gap as big as possible. So what she means by that, in my mind, is what's the problem and how can I make the problem as big as possible? So in other words, Lisa, what I would suggest is you look for, okay, What's our current reality and what's our future reality? And how can I talk about that gap? So what's our current reality? Where are we at as a team? What project are we working on? What resources do we have? And, and then what's the future reality? So like in Pixar's case, we're going to create this incredible movie that's going to be better than the previous three, which were already the best ever. And so, yeah, she what Duarte talks about is gap. So how can I have a consistent story that emphasizes the gap in a way that's meaningful? and is either about a common enemy or a common goal. You know what I love about, about that? Because now, now you're kind of talking my language. It mm -hmm. reminds me of just, um, I love structural tension work and, mm -hmm. and it's looking at the current and the future, but it also helps you really reflect and go, and what do I need to do to go from current to future and what are all the little things and the small wins to get us there? Because it can be really daunting and overwhelming if you just look at, oh, that's a really big gap. Mm -hmm. um, so what do you suggest that, that organizations or leaders or just individuals can do to, to make it just a little bit more tangible to get them going yeah. forward? Well 
So it's a great question because it does come down to what can what can I do as a leader? So there's an exercise that I'm sure, Lori, you saw me do use many times in, when we were working together. And I've used it literally hundreds of times. And um, it's called Plus Delta. And, and I, I would suggest this is like one of the most important tools for any leader to use. And it's so simple. You take a piece of flip chart, you draw a line down the middle, and on the left you say, Plus, you know, what's going really well and on the right is Delta, which means change. And the key thing I always instruct leaders to do is at that point, then give the give the felt pen to somebody else. So step away. So leaders do not stand in front of the flip chart. You're going to completely bias the whole conversation. And what you're looking for from your team is let's celebrate what worked really well. So, OK, in the last quarter, in the last month what worked really well. And this is important because every time I do this, what I see is things coming up on the flip chart in the left-hand column that people haven't talked about. And then once someone suggests that as an addition to that left column, you hear you hear the energy in the room go up and people go, oh, that's a good one. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. Oh, that is really good, right? And so the idea is to make that list on the left as long as possible before you go to the right. You don't go back and forth, you work on the left, then you go to the right column, which is Delta change and you say, okay, so what could be better? And here's the most important part is then you say, okay, let's now look at Delta change, which is usually half as long. And you say, okay, now let's pick one thing. So what's one thing that we know we can work on within a certain parameter, time frame, money, um, personnel, whatever. So you say, okay, within these parameters, what can we work on? And then you're always making sure you've gone from celebration to opportunity to action. And when you do it that way, it's kind of like having a sort of appreciative inquiry conversation. Everybody feels good, even though we're talking about something that probably has been bothering them for a long time. I think the other aspect that's interesting, certainly um, the research in this area has been about uh, that work, they find that progress needs to be made through work that's meaningful mm -hmm. to the employee in order for it to boost that positive inner life, which we talked about earlier. Mm. Um, how can leaders ensure employees find their work to be meaningful so that they can optimize the effects? Well, I think like this is so, Lori, this is so important. In fact, I my uh, oldest daughter um, had just got uh, laid off from her dream job 15 people were laid off last last week on Friday, actually. And I mean, fortunately, she's fine. She's She's got an amazing resume already. But the point is that when I asked her, okay, what's it been like as far as your employee surveys have been going? And she said, oh, they've gone from like 80%, you know, approval and happiness and whatever they're scoring on to like 40% in a period of a year. And I think what happened there, Lori, is they lost that common purpose. They started out as being this really cool um, technology company that was going to do good for the world. And then it sort of looked like it was all about making money. Um, so I think what's important is even if you're running a, you know, oil change company, you know, or you're running something that doesn't necessarily look as green or as uh, altruistic as other companies, I think you got to find something that's meaningful to your team. And that could be customer service or, you know, um, or, I mean, look at the success of companies like WestJet. I mean, they they pollute as much as any other big airline, but somehow they managed to create a kind of culture that seems to be meaningful for their employees. And sure, they're having troubles, you know, with, with 
all sorts, you know, the usual stuff that goes on as you get to be big and unionized. But the bottom line is that it is possible, whatever size you are, to find something that's meaningful to your employees. What just speaks to the importance of um, today's environment and how important the value alignment um, is mm -hmm. between um, employees and the company to really engage them and empower them. And I know one of the things that um, I think is well aligned with the small wins is there, there's an adjustment or there's a shift happening with our attention spans, with our focus, with, you know, just with technology, you know, um, I've been reading a lot on stolen focus and different things. And um, I just, I'm curious from your perspective, how do we help employees and our organizations focus more? Yeah, um, I was going to joke and say, sorry, I didn't hear what you were saying because I had my phone in my hand. <laughs> but uh, I think, that, you know, I don't, you True. know, I, the short answer is I don't know because, um, you know, is it like uh, Jane McGonigal from uh, Stanford talks about the addiction of our technologies, you know, and she talks about these technologies are as addictive as one armed bandits in Vegas. And it's the reason is they're addictive is well for lots of reasons. Part of it is the way that they're they are engineered to to make us have this sort of anticipation of dopamine as every time we pick them up, like we're going to get something really great. But part of it is that it's just a great distraction from hard work. So it's a kind of enjoyable form of procrastination is to go on your phone or even your computer and start looking at things. So I think. I don't know the answer really, but I, I do know that when people are excited about the work that they're doing and there's some urgency, then they will make good choices. But as soon as the work becomes kind of routine and boring and there's no apparent urgency or, you know, and again, going back to my daughter's story or the work becomes overwhelming and uh, everyone feels like, that they're you know really being burdened with a, a bunch of uh, unfair deadlines. Yeah, then all the smartphones are going to become pretty attractive because it's a nice little distraction. So I think it's it's about you know again it's, I, I think it's about uh, creating the right the right goals, the right motivation, and and a little bit of urgency to make it so that this technology is not as attractive. And I suppose that the whole remote working, hybrid work environments, um, that mm -hmm. poses some challenges mm -hmm. around focus and creating meaningful work, which goes back to uh, the motivation of small wins. <laughs> it's mm -hmm. all linked together. Uh, so do you have any um, suggestions or ideas on how you know to deal with those challenges of the remote work and even incorporating these components of the small wins or progressive principle? Yeah, it's, it's a really good point. I, I, I think that the flexible work um, environment is going to be here forever. I, I don't think that that's going to change. And already I'm hearing stories about how communities are, are um, well, I should say developers, I guess, are you know reconfiguring office buildings because they're just not going to be used. I think that when you're working from home in a remote environment like that and you have um, a lot of flexibility and 
And, um, you know, you can, you can slack off or you can work hard or you can show up in your pajamas. I think it's really valuable to learn how to do small wins because what, what the whole idea of small wins, by the way, is it is the progress principle. It is about, um, you know, inner work life and feeling motivated and perceptions and all of that stuff. But there's another aspect to small wins that I think is actually even more powerful. And that is um, that you learn how to create the next small win. And it's kind of like the flywheel gets turning. And once that flywheel is turning, it becomes easier to do um, the the next thing. And, um, you know, it's, it's less scary and it's kind of like, um, Kahneman talks about this, uh, the idea of the availability heuristic, the, the idea that we base a lot of our decisions based on recent knowledge. So if I'm working from home and I decide, okay, I'm going to go and schedule in little breaks for some walk around the block, and I notice that that feels really good, then the next small win will be that much easier to go and create. And there's just so many things that a person can do that would affect their well-being, their mindset. It would affect their work productivity. Um, it would affect everything, their sleep. And once you start figuring out what those are and you, and you start doing them successfully and then you pay attention to the results, I think it just gets easier and easier and easier. So it's like this flywheel cycle that allows you then to have a lot more control of your work environment, but also the experience of working from home. And just, I think your overall, overall life, because it's so, and I know you, you shared a story with me about, you know, getting into um, your running again and running a marathon. And, you know, it seems pretty daunting if you haven't done a mar marathon or if you're not running regularly to just decide that you're going to start running 10K a day or um, 20, 30K. So breaking it into small little chunks, like maybe today's 1K or maybe mm -hmm. today's just that walk around the block and build, building up. Um, even as we were talking, I lifted up my my desk and went yeah it's time to stand which I forget to do so those are right. so meaningful just to to set little alarms or for breaks mm -hmm. or anything from the wellness because I think employers really need to start thinking about wellness um, for all of our employees so that's so true so Lisa to build on that because I think you're absolutely right like it is it is things like oh I need to stand that's that's all that a person has to do to create a change. You know, there's that corny analogy of um, if an airplane changes direction by one degree, you know, it, it leaves Vancouver, it doesn't end up in Toronto, it ends up in Buffalo. And the reality is that it doesn't take a big change in the way that we show up for work or the way that we work that, um, or even take care of ourselves that can, can create um, the next big change or the next small win. And I think that what's important though, is it's about tuning in and paying attention to what did that do? Because one of the things about this idea of small wins that we're talking about today is that there is no ticker tape parade. There is no big payoff. You're not going to get more money in your bank. You're not going to lose five pounds. It's, it's incremental. And so it's important to pay attention. Okay, how did that make me feel? Oh, did I feel like I had a little bit more control over my time? Do I feel like I'm a little bit more refreshed when I sit back down at my desk? Do I feel less distracted because I put all my pens away and cleared off my desk on Friday? You know, and so uh, do I feel better because I 
bring a glass of water to my desk in the morning. So we look for these little things. And then, as I said earlier, what starts to happen is the flywheel gets turning. And then we say, okay, well, what else could I do? First of all, I can keep that going, but what else could I do? And then pretty soon it becomes easier and easier to, to kind of design the next small win and then to take action. So you talked about your um, journey to run a marathon again and right. <laughs> on your on your website, hughculver.com. You also provide some examples of small wins that have helped you move your life forward. Um, can you share some of those with our listeners? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, thanks, Laurie. I'd love to. Yeah, so I mean, some of the ones that I recommend that people do, and, and again, the idea here is not to finish the goal. It's not to cross that big goal off your list, but it is to take a step forward. So one of the ones... Um, you know, I, I wrote down was to book a call. So let's say you're procrastinating about connecting with a friend or you're, you want to give some feedback to a team member on maybe clarify some expectations or um, any kind of a call that you've been putting off to book it. So you just send the email and say, hey, how, pick, let's pick a time. And so you haven't had the call yet, but you've now got it on the calendar. Um, making your bed in the morning, it sounds really corny, but it's one small win that gets you started for the day. Uh, a colleague of mine looks out the window in the morning now once she has the coffee maker going instead of looking at the news. It's not a big deal, but for those two or three minutes, she's enjoying what's going on in nature rather than looking at what somebody else has written about what's gone wrong. Um, one of the things I would recommend everybody does if they're listening to this is go on your smartphone and update your notifications. What I mean by that is turn off notifications that you don't wanna see anymore. A lot of phones are defaulting to notifications. So all those little red dots that we get, just go in and turn them off. You don't have to see them. You don't need to know if somebody has sent you a message in Facebook or you know some little app that you've downloaded has now got some kind of a notification or they wanna reach out to you. So that's a simple five minute fix. Go in there and if you don't know how, just go on YouTube and and learn how to do that sort of stuff. So there's a lot of things that, you know, when I when I start thinking about what can a person do in five minutes or less, and there's just so many things. Here's a simple one. You've got a book beside your bed. You really think you should read it, but you're struggling. Just get rid of it. Like get it out of your mind. Get it out of your, get it out of your environment. It's not, it's negative energy. Every time you see it, it tells you that you're kind of failing. Go find a, you know, a book that's fun. Malcolm Gladwell, you know, this, you know, this gave me this gave me all the justification I needed. He says every night he would read like a Lee Child novel. But here's this guy's an intellect. You know, you listen to the work he does. It's it's very heady, heavily researched, and yet he knows that at night what he needs is he needs distraction. So there's some examples for you. Those are great examples, and I think it's just what steps are we going to take for our own selves and the accountability to ourselves to make a small change, implement a new discipline, do whatever it takes that will help us feel more productive or more engaged or healthier if it's if it's on the personal front. And it I think the concept of small wins is just so important to share with share with others. Um, to incorporate so we don't feel the world is an overwhelming place like you said there's negative news and you know there's mm -hmm. always something and how do we 
put that into bite-sized pieces and just control what we take in to some degree. Yeah, and have fun with it. Like mm -hmm. it's like it's like an experiment, you know, just have fun with it and say, well, did that make any difference? And if so, let's yeah, let's do more of it. And if not, go on and find something else. I think that that's what life's all about. It's about this big experiment to see, OK, what can I do that's going to provide meaningful work for who I work for? And, you know, I feel like I've made a contribution. And but also I've really enjoyed my my time doing that. And it's little stuff, you know, like go through your old clothes. We've been doing that this month since we got back from our trip and go through your clothes and just donate them to charity. You know, it's not a big deal, but every time you go and look at that closet, you feel better because, you know, it's, it's either been nagging at you to do it or you feel better because now you can see some space in there. So it's, um, it's an experiment, you know, with a little bit of um, take a little bit of a risk. And then just be about, be aware, how did that make you feel? That's the important part at the end of it is, how did it make you feel? Because again, none of the things that we're talking about are going to produce any kind of material change in your life, but it will change the quality of your life. Well, I think a good way to summarize our podcast today, Hugh, is to leave with your thought, have fun with it. Mm -hmm. I think that's yeah. a, <laughs> a great way. Yeah, right? <laughs> And, and, and what's more important, you know, I, I was, when I was getting ready for this call, I was reading this great quote from Rosabeth Moss Cantor. She says, if change feels like walking off a cliff blindfolded, then people will reject it. <laughs> well, <laughs> nothing we've talked about is like walking off a cliff blindfolded. This is like so easy, right? Lisa says, well, I, I just realized I need to stand up, you know, and one of the things I talk about a lot when I'm talking about health is just take your recycling box and instead of having it at your feet, move it 10 feet away, move your garbage can 10 feet away. And lo and behold, you have to stand up all through the day. So these are little things that maybe people discard because they think, oh, it's trivial and I've got more important things to do, or I need to go to the gym if I'm going to get serious. But these are the things actually that make the biggest difference because they then become a habit. And once it becomes a habit that you don't have to think about it anymore, it's just a part of your way of showing up. That's well, funny. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, Laurie, I cut you off, but I, I just thought that was that was um, serendipitous that you just talked about habits because I actually have your book in my hands right now called "Give Me a Break: The Art of Making Time Work for You." And when I flipped it open, I turned to habits, daily wow. actions to ensure your success. There you go. <laughs> so I think that's a whole nother podcast topic. It is to come back and talk. Very to us cool. About. <laughs> Thank you so much, Hugh. I really enjoyed speaking with you today. And I'm, I'm just still going with that. Have fun with it. Because that's a really uh, great quote. That's the Hugh Culver quote for me. Yeah, maybe, you know, if you get to get a tattoo, Lori, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we'll, we'll share that with our listeners if Lori gets a tattoo of it. <laughs> Sounds good. Sounds good. Okay. Thanks right. again. Bye-bye. Yeah, thank thanks. you both. Have a great evening. Thanks. Thanks a lot. Take care. Bye. Bye.